When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've been following along with Good, Good, Good for a while now, you probably know that we've been trying to figure out the news. Like, <laughs> uh, The question is, how do we stay engaged with what's happening in the world while also not getting sucked into cynicism or negativity? And how can we celebrate all of the good things that are happening, all the good in the world, but also stay in tune with the real heartbreak and pain around us. And so you may know this or you may not. We ended up creating a print newspaper called The Good Newspaper. You can order it at goodnewspaper.org. But it ultimately wrestles with this tension. And when we launched the Kickstarter to bring this to life initially, uh, we were fully funded in just a few days by hundreds of people. And that led us to think that maybe there were others out there who were trying to figure this out as well. And our guest this week, Erica Mandy, is someone who, when she saw problems in the news industry, she decided to do something about it. Erica Mandy is an award-winning broadcast journalist and a former TV news reporter. She left her six-figure dream job as a TV news reporter in L.A., uh, the second largest news market in the country, all because of two things. One... She kept hearing from people that they were tuning out news altogether because it was too, quote-unquote, depressing. And she herself was starting to feel a sense of depression and anxiety from 10 years of covering horrific stories and then presenting them in a way that was alarmist. So she decided to do something about it, and uh, she up and quit her secure six-figure job to launch a new kind of news with a podcast called The Newsworthy. And it presents a few of the top national stories of the day in a far less alarmist way. And it provides several more upbeat tech and business and entertainment and other interesting news in what she describes as a fast, fair, and fun way. And uh, she's even included stories from the Good Newspaper and from the Good Newsletter and the things that we are sharing in our community all the time. It's amazing. The Newsworthy has blown up since it launched. It's now been featured at the top of Apple Podcasts, right like right next to Serial, uh, several times now. Uh, it's been written about by Britain Co. And it was named one of Salon.com's 12 Essential Current Events Podcasts. In our conversation, I love getting to dive into what the news industry is like on the inside, uh, how we can fight to make it better, all of us, and how we can be a lot more intentional about how each of us consume the news. I'm Brandon Harvey, and this is Sounds Good. This is the weekly podcast where we have conversations with inspiring people who are rejecting cynicism and using their lives to make an impact. Sounds Good is not your typical three steps of success podcast. We don't host this podcast for the sake of leaving you with bullet points on self-improvement. We believe that our lives are more complex than that. And so we show up here on Sounds Good to ask big questions, 
dive into some nuance, and learn from each other's stories. This was such a fun conversation. I loved getting to learn about Erica's story. Uh, So without any further ado, let's just jump straight into this conversation. How has your day been, Erica? Hello. Uh, It's going really well. I'm trying to get a lot of things done before we leave town, but it's a good thing because it's keeping me productive. Good. I love how basically whenever I'm up against a deadline, I'm like the most productive. And so (laughs) this is a great time of year to uh, get a lot of things done. Isn't that (laughs) funny? It's so true that like busy people are the most productive on days that I'm like, I have all this time. I'm going to get so much done. It doesn't happen. Especially being a journalist, I love deadlines. I I hate and love them at the same time. Totally. Do you feel like there are certain times of year where there's more news or where you as a journalist are busier? Hmm. I mean, working in TV, it was definitely around what we call sweeps, which is when Nielsen ratings were happening. So it's usually the times like November was the big month. It's usually the times that you're used to seeing premieres on the network channels. It's same thing for news. It's all because we're measuring the ratings more. And so those were always the busiest times because everybody wanted to ramp up and get as many viewers as possible. For me now, I I don't feel that it's more of kind of day to day and just yeah. what's happening in in the world in the news. I it things tend to slow down in the holidays, uh, especially, you know, the week of holidays, but Totally. But yeah, it really just depends. And I kind of like the ebb and flow of it. Yeah. I think I think I do too. I feel like there's basically always the exact same amount of news. Like this is my theory based off of no data, just off of personal feelings. But I feel like there's always the same amount of news. But I think that we as a culture get to a point where we feel overwhelmed by news. So like if there's a lot of stuff happening with, uh, you know, politics or like Trump and Russia all at once. And then like the next week we're like, okay, I feel like I overdosed on this. And then even if there's like something new that happens in that sphere of the news, I think people don't pay as much attention to it because we're a little bit overwhelmed. And then we'll kind of move on to something else where it's like, oh, now we're going to get really overwhelmed by, you know, some other aspect of news. Uh, and then, uh, and then if that same thing happens the next week, we won't be, we'll be a little bit desensitized to it. Does that, does that make sense? Does that resonate at all with you or is that yes, just yes. made up? So, well, <laughs> no, I mean, I think it feels like there's often the same amount of news because most traditional networks have to fill a certain amount of time, right? So they will have to find stories to go into these slots, whether it's really worth it or not. Or places like CNN and Fox News that are 24 hours are just constantly pushing out news. And so they're constantly looking for things to push out there. And then we've got phone notifications and all of that now. So we're constantly bombarded whenever there's a, there's, a lot of breaking news happening. We're getting these phone notifications. And so we never get a break, really. Yeah, that's part of why I I got out of traditional news is because people were telling me how depressed and overwhelmed they were feeling with the news. So it absolutely happened. And maybe we can bring it back a little bit because I'm curious how you got into working in the news world in the first place. Like when was your first inkling as like even like a kid or a student where you were like, yeah, I'm going to head down this path. So I've always been interested in writing and uh, public speaking and performing and talking to people. 
But it was really when I went to college. You know that time where we're all forced to pick a major, even if you aren't really sure yet? Truly. (laughs) Which I, I wish that colleges allowed you to explore a little bit more before you had to pick. But... Uh, when I was looking at either journalism schools or business schools, because those were kind of where I was, the direction I was being pulled, I really decided on journalism as my main thing because I knew that I wanted to make a difference. I loved writing. I loved talking to people. And again, I grew up dancing. So there is an element, especially in television, of performing and being willing to do that. And so I was like, well, let me take some classes. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do magazine writing or another form of journalism. And I took my first broadcast class. And I have this really distinct memory of putting together a story and my teacher clapping her hands and saying, that's it. And me just really falling in love with the visual, audio, writing, people, storytelling, all of that coming together in you know, one story was really fascinating to me and kind of the impact I could have with that. And so I went down the path of broadcast journalism, knowing that I would have to move to a very small town and kind of start as a part-time reporter making $10 an hour <laughs> right yeah. after college, uh, just to kind of learn the the ropes of meeting daily deadlines and and actually being on live television and all of the mistakes that happen with that and kind of working my way up over the next 10 years to a big city like LA. And is that what you had to do? Is it like, is that how everybody does it? So everybody's story is a little bit different. And, you know, I think in today's world, it's probably a little different because if you have talent right out of the gate and you can do something online or something on your own, oh, you know, yeah. there's influencers and all that kind of stuff. So I think... And I, I even as even back when I started, I think everybody's story was a little bit different, but and their path was a little bit different. But I do think for the most part, most people need to get that daily practice for several years before they're really ready for the big city. Like anything, you know, totally. we have to start at that entry level. And big cities like LA expect a certain level of expertise and ability that you just don't have yet when you're right out of college and you haven't done the live television every single night and deadline, you know, breaking news, write something in five minutes. Uh, (laughs) So there were many mistakes. And I actually feel a little bit bad that YouTube is a thing now because when I first started, it wasn't really that big. And I didn't have to worry even when I would go home crying because I made a mistake on live television and said, uh, uh, back to you and didn't know what I was talking (laughs) about, which definitely happened. I didn't have to worry about that sitting out there. Yeah. Or those like compilation videos of reporters like making mistakes or like getting hit by something like in a storm or all these things. Um, I think that's probably for the best that you got out ahead of that. (laughs) But I did have one of those um, inappropriate moments that ended up on YouTube when I was working in LA, when somebody ran up behind me and said inappropriate things like I'm sure you've all seen before, which I do not appreciate because it's, you know, I always try to compare it to somebody giving the most important presentation of the day and somebody else coming up and doing that to you. And so that always bothered me. And I wanted to be like, do you understand that I've worked all day to put this story together? Yeah. But Yeah. Somehow I feel like I've never thought about that. And I don't know what it is that maybe like dehumanizes people in the news, but I remember being 
in college and there being like reporters like reporting on something in my neighborhood. And it was like a pretty normal thing. I think it was like a human interest, like sports something story because I live next to a stadium. And I remember like walking by in the background, goofy or whatever. And and I don't feel too bad about being disruptive because <laughs> I didn't like, yell something inappropriate. But what is it about me that feels like that was okay to do? Like I would, if I'm speaking on stage and somebody did that to me, like that would be terrible. I don't, I don't know what that disconnect is because oh, now, now I feel this bad is about a PSA it. PSA <laughs> for journalists. <laughs> well, I think it also depends. You know, that was a lighthearted story. If I'm talking about a really serious story, it it's even worse, you know, because yeah. that victim or whatever is probably watching that story. So, yeah, I think it, it depends. And I understand that people get excitement when they see themselves on, on television, <laughs> but... Uh, but just don't, you know, shout inappropriate things. It's a good reminder. Walking in the background is okay. <laughs> Great PSA. Okay, so back when you were in school and you were studying to kind of go down this path, did you have like the whole if it bleeds, it leads lesson and all those types of things? No, no. I mean, I think the conversation among journalists is is to tell the best stories yeah. and to – there's never an explicit – if. <laughs> you know, crime leads and all this kind of thing. Totally good. But I think what happens, unfortunately, is that is ultimately what we're told by experience is news, right? Like there's a crime that happens, we're told to go cover it. It's never like, if it bleeds, it leads. But it's, hey, this just happened. We need to go cover it. That's a big story. Let's lead with that. And some of it is justifiable because it impacts the community or it's a, a something to do with our safety. But I think what happened that got to me working in television for 10 years is it felt like every night was a vigil for a horrible thing that happened. Every mm. night was, you know, a car accident. And as a reporter, I wasn't making those decisions. I was told to go cover them. And maybe I would bring story ideas every day and I would try to bring unique story ideas. But especially once I got to a bigger city, there's so much happening that it's rare that you actually get to do unique and interesting stories because there's so much else to cover. When I was in some of the smaller cities, I got to do that more. And I really got to tell people stories because there's not as much happening. So I think that's also part of why when I got to LA, it felt that much more depressing and yeah. horrible because there was so much going on. Yeah. It, I guess it's interesting because inside the word news is new. So part of, you know, part of this definition is that, you know, the things that are on the news are things that are new, that are recent, that just happened and don't happen kind of every single day. And so I guess that does make sense why you see tragedies in the news, because like those things are actually like few and far between, or at least the specific ways that they're happening are. And I don't know. It's one of those things where I'm like, I don't think anybody should like stop reporting on the bad things that happen in the world. But it is interesting how it does seem to take over uh, to a point where it, like you said, it is depressing. Yes, I definitely think there's a limit. And I think it speaks to what both of us do now is that we also want to uplift people. We also want to tell them about the good things that are happening. We also want to tell them about just the interesting things, the tech yeah. things that are impacting our world. It's not just the sad things, especially tragedies that just feel, that make people feel like, oh my gosh, what if that happens to me? Because that, you know, covering these things and talking to 
victims and parents of victims and all of those things every day. I didn't realize it at the time, but it it impacted me. And I can see that now looking back. And so, you know, I don't want to do that to my audience. I don't want to just show them the people that are dying. Let's also talk about the people that are making a difference and not just the one last story at the end. Let's also talk about the interesting things throughout the whole show or the newscast, you know? I mean, there were times, again, especially in LA, when I would be sent out. Actually, I think it was my last day And I said, I really want to cover the story of this veteran who is being honored and he has this amazing story to tell. And they said, okay, Erica, it's your last day here at, you know, at CBS in LA. Why don't you go cover that? And I went to talk to him. We're sitting. He starts crying. We're having this amazing conversation. I'm going to tell this amazing story about how he was honored. And they called and they said, I need you to go cover this double homicide. Uh. And... I literally had to, I was so upset. <laughs> I had to go cover this other story and his story never saw, the, you know, never made air. Man. And I felt horrible because he had spent this time with me and he was crying and it was this amazing story. And instead I had to go cover this tragedy. And, you know, I think there was room for both, I think. Um, but, you know, that just, I think, yeah. explains how things go. There were so many times that I tried to tell good stories that you never really got the chance. Yeah, that's so hard. And I guess that makes sense too with the, just the way that the scheduled news goes. You know, it's, if you've only got so much time on air, you've got to prioritize. And I don't like the way that that's being prioritized, but uh, that to some degree makes sense. Another thing I was thinking about is uh, the fact that like I guess something that we we do a lot of at the Good Newspaper is we'll report on these slow and steady, uh, well, essentially celebrations of progress. So yes. there's a lot of ways that the world is continually getting better year after year after year in gradual, small ways. But because it's happening so gradually and slowly and because it just happens consistently, uh, it doesn't feel like news. And we've even run up against that. I mean, so for example, you know, Crime rates in the United States just continue to plummet. The number of people who die in war around the world continues to drop. The number of people in global poverty continues to decrease, like HIV and AIDS rates uh, continue to decline. And people who do have HIV and AIDS, like they continue to live longer and longer and longer. And all of these things are things that just happen every single year. And, and we reported on that kind of in our first year of the good newspaper, all of those stories. And it's weird now that we're in our second year. It's like, do we just report that like those things are still happening? Like, cause they're just, you know, they're, they're not new. It's the same story. It's been continuing to get better, but it is a little bit tricky where, you know, if we just reported on only the things that are good and positive and continuing to grow every day, like it's, it's going to be the same stuff that happened yesterday and the week before and last year. Well, first of all, I so applaud you for putting that out into the world. And it's why I originally reached out to you because I love that you are making that known. And I do think it's important to talk about. But I think that's why it's important for there to be reports, you yes. know, yearly reports. Because I think when there's a researcher that has looked at something and says, this is what's changed it gives at least some newsworthy hook that there is a new report here and and they've really analyzed this and we're not just going off of what it seems right so 
while you might not want to spend an hour looking at the thing that we looked at last year for an hour, I think there is still room to say, hey, we checked back in and this report found that it's still going up and this is great news. And because people do want to be reminded that things aren't all all horrible. But I do think you are right. And that's a lot of the reason why things that are not extraordinary don't get put into traditional news because there's an element of, well, this there's no big enough hook to tease it and get people to tune in when they're all competing. We we are bombarded with so much noise that all these networks feel like they have to compete. And that's why clickbait got started online because every you know everybody was judged how many clicks their story got and all these things. And so it's what it became what is extraordinary to stand out. And slow progress usually isn't seen as extraordinary, but but I know we think it's still so important. And so it's up to us to decide how do we make this interesting? How do we make it extraordinary for people? And that's our job to do. And so I love that that you're doing that for people. Thank you. I appreciate that. And and I want to talk about how you're doing that. But I first, let's back up a tiny bit. And uh, I want to just continue to get to know you know, what your time working for, uh, you know, kind of a traditional news company in LA was like, what was it like as kind of you started feeling more uh, overwhelmed with depression while you were working on these specific stories? I remember my first, like the first body bag that I saw, and it was actually in uh, Columbia, Missouri, my first station that I worked at. And it wasn't that I ever got, you know, clinically depressed, but it was just this constant, like, sad, sad stories that I had to cover that I then had a job to do. So while I would feel empathy in the moment, I had to kind of push that down and just move on to the next story. And as we know, that's never good to just push down the feelings of empathy or sadness or you know, just making sure that you're feeling the feelings of seeing this horrible thing that day because you just always had to go on to the next story. And especially once I got to LA, I would do four breaking news stories in one night sometimes. And so you're just forced to put on that face. And it's interesting because I think, and I'm sure this happens with other first responders, probably even more so because they see even worse things, is that you feel like you just have to put on the professional face. This is my job and not look too deeply into it. And... Now, looking back, I think that it impacted me more, especially because I never did sit with it long enough. And it made so much sense to me. And that's probably why I resonated when I heard from other people that they felt depressed by the news. And so they were just tuning it out altogether. But as a reporter, I didn't have that option. I I had to go to work and talk to the parents and the victims. And, you know, I, I almost don't even want to talk about some of the things that I covered because I don't want to put that on your, <laughs> on your listeners. Totally. But, um, it's like, it's like secondary trauma that you're dealing with, right. you know, like that's, it's a very real thing. And that's, what do you feel like the healthiest way that a reporter could handle this would be? Like, is it, is it going to see a counselor like every week to debrief all of these things? Is it actually finding time to like, do something about the problems you're seeing? Like, what do you feel like from your experience is is kind of the healthiest way to approach it, even though I'm sure there's no perfect solution? Exactly. I've thought about this a lot more recently now because more what I've thought about is the fact that the news industry doesn't do anything (laughs) to support Mm. the reporters or even consider the fact that we're seeing these horrible things and having this secondary trauma, right? The producers are not saying, hey, how are you doing after? That was a pretty tough story last night. No one ever would say that. 
And while we would all say in the moment, like, wow, this story is so sad, we're not, we would never focus on the reporter and saying, like, are you doing okay? Because I know you had to talk to the parent of that person, you know, and you had to see that scene. And so I think, first of all, just as we're seeing now happening more in police departments who definitely need that even more than reporters because they're seeing even worse things, but they're now starting to say, let's provide counselors, let's provide support and make sure they know it's okay to feel sad about something. I think the same thing needs to happen for the news industry. And I know that every reporter and every person is different. I tend to have a lot of empathy and I'm probably more emotional than some other reporters. So maybe I need it more. But there was nothing that even made me stop to think that maybe I would need that. There was no conversation that ever happened working 10 years in the industry, even going to school for journalism. That was never part of the conversation. And so I think it starts with just letting journalists know, even right from the beginning when they're getting into their careers, you're going to see some stuff. This is how... And then coming up with some ways to recommend to deal with it. Um, I do think that debriefing you know, every week with a counselor or something would be helpful. I don't know how I would feel in that moment because looking back, I, I think that I would have been like, oh, I don't need it. But... I think if the conversation maybe would have started earlier, then maybe I would have gone into it thinking that I do instead of the other way around. Yeah, that's really interesting that that's not really a part of it. And I think that's cool because, I mean, not cool, but like it's interesting that that's an opportunity for growth and that when, you know, news organizations start to take steps towards that, uh, and I assume some already have, but I would imagine that their reporting becomes better because their reporters are in a healthier place and their journalists are feeling more confident about what they're doing and maybe even are more in tune with, you know, their own humanity so they can connect with their viewers and listeners and readers' humanity as well. Yes. And I do think, you know, I don't, I do think there are a lot of journalists who are empathetic and probably do feel some of this. And I do also want to say it's so important for, you know, there to be war journalists and people who are willing to go into these dangerous Truly. situations to tell us what's happening. But I do think that we can approach it differently and that it's not for everybody. And I think I had to realize that maybe maybe it's not for me after 10 years to be seeing tragedy every day. <laughs> <laughs> and so taking that step to say, while I told some amazing stories and I impacted people in positive ways, that now is the time to do something different yeah. and being okay with that and not letting my ego get in the way to say, but I was going to go to network news and I was going to do all these things and I'm sure I would have. But recognizing that, you know what, that's just my ego talking that I want to say that I did that and not really what I want to do and how I want to impact the world. You know, that's a really, really good point because I've I've even found myself doing that with my own career kind of outside the news world, just thinking, oh man, I, I think I need to make this change. But also, you know, people are, are looking at me or, oh, I've already invested all this time in this direction. Like I think about this back when I was kind of all in on kind of being like a social media person. Like I was like one of the top Snapchatters in the United States. And it was this like weird, bizarre thing. And there was a day where I was like, I just need to like quit doing the Snapchat thing because it was like sucking my soul and it wasn't helpful or healthy for me. Uh, and I've still got friends who are like amazing and crushing it in like the whole like social media influencer create unique content every day thing. But I was like, I need to like opt out of this. And, uh, but it was hard because I totally, it, it was some degree of an ego thing where I was like, oh, but then what, 
will I be known for? Like, how will I be seen? And, you know, where is my identity wrapped up? And so I appreciate you sharing that that was part of the struggle as well as you were considering, you know, should I step away from this and towards something else? Yeah, because especially when you start something new and no one's heard of it yet, you don't get the same phone call back, right? Than when I say I'm a reporter with CBS. Oh, yeah. And there's all those things. And and when you just meet people and they say the typical, you know, what do you do? And you have to kind of explain it's this new thing and they've never heard it before versus, oh, I'm, you know, a network reporter with CBS News, like, and their eyes get wide, you know, but that's not what makes you happy. And that's not what impacts the world in the best way if you are not all in and you don't really enjoy it and really feel like this is the best way to spend your time. And so, yes, there was definitely, I definitely had to think about that. Like, why do I want to do this? And I think there came a time because throughout my career, I definitely wanted to keep moving forward until I didn't anymore. And I realized that even if I got the goal that I thought was my goal, you know, the very, very top goal that I actually didn't want it anymore. And that was the big epiphany for me to say, even if I got that thing, I don't think that I would be happy. I don't think that I would want that. And that was like, oh, I haven't had that feeling before. Like I always thought I always did want the next thing until now. I just wanted to take a quick break from this conversation to tell you about the sponsor of this week's episode of Sounds Good, the University of Helsinki. Okay, so I just got back from Helsinki, Finland, which happens to be ranked the happiest country on earth. And while I was there, I got the opportunity to visit the University of Helsinki, which is an amazing university. The university's goal is to produce and share high-impact knowledge that contributes to solving global challenges affecting us all. For example, the university has pioneers in climate research and leaders in understanding the mechanisms of cancer treatment. Many of the degree programs link to the research efforts that are key to building a better, more sustainable world. Therefore, when you're studying at the University of Helsinki, you can have an impact too for the world. The University of Helsinki has contributed thousands of people to the top of the worlds of politics and science and culture and economics, and not to mention four Nobel Prize winners. The application period for the international master's programs starting in August of 2019 is currently open. If you want to continue your education towards making a difference in the world, you should absolutely apply uh, before the deadline on January 11th, 2019. You can learn more about the University of Helsinki and apply for their master's program at helsinki.fi slash admissions. One more time, that's helsinki.fi, like Finland, slash admissions. University of Helsinki, study for the world. Okay, now back to the rest of our conversation. For many of us, we're experiencing a meaning deficit. We we need meaning in our lives, and our lives are full of a lot of things, but they're not full of this unique purpose that drives us. And so when you are able to say, you know, whether you knew exactly what your next kind of meaningful thing was or not, to say, you know, I, I'm not experiencing meaning in my current work, and, and I need to take a step towards doing that. Otherwise, I won't be able to put my whole self into this. Like, that's remarkable. And I think it's important to note that it doesn't, even though, yes, I kind of had this epiphany that I didn't want to do 
what I was doing anymore in five or 10 years. It, w- it wasn't an overnight change. And really, there was definitely a time when I said, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet if this is what I want to be doing. And I kind of used the excuse at, at one time I was freelance in LA. And so I said, well, technically I could be laid off at any time. So let me just explore other, <laughs> other options. But I think really I just wanted to explore other options. And I looked into something and I, you know, used contacts to basically get an interview with someone at this fitness company because I was really into like fitness classes. And so maybe I thought I'd want to do that. So I started freelance writing for this person just kind of on my own time. Um, And I told her I didn't have a lot of time, but I would want to do a couple articles here and there. And so just to kind of dip my toe into something else without having to jump all into it. And she, I ended up, you know, having lunch with her. And after some articles, she actually wanted to hire me for this other position. And that's that moment that I had to make the decision, do I really want to leave news and do this? I realized the answer was actually no. But I was so glad that I explored it and I looked into it and I, because we don't just come up with our purpose because I think sometimes people think, oh, I just have to know my purpose and what's wrong with me if I don't know my purpose. But we have to explore different things and try them out for a little bit, dip our toe in the water before we can know for sure. And so that was probably a year or two before I actually left news for The Newsworthy, which is a show that I do now. But there was some time between that when I said, okay, maybe I'm not ready to leave news or at least I'm not ready to leave for this. But there was definitely a different feeling when I had another idea that was then that did give me the purpose that I would think I was looking for. And all of a sudden I did want to do that over go to my day job and I was willing to put everything on the line for it. And so that was what told me, okay, I think I have to do this. Oh, I love that. And that, I think that's so well said too. And I think it's a lot easier to just like take two aspects of your life and be like, which one of these things feels more meaningful? Like which one of these feels more like my purpose? And then to just say, okay, well, I'm going to choose the one that feels a step closer. Because I don't even think that I've figured out like what my purpose and meaning is. But I do know that I've said no to a lot of things that definitely were not in the direction I wanted to go, even though they were cool things. So it's it's amazing that you have, you know, you had that opportunity to be like, well, let me just like explore this thing. Oh, wait, no, that's not perfect. But then you found something that was better. What was it like letting your boss or your team know, hey, I'm going to leave news and I'm going to go and start this thing that's, it's risky. You know, you started a podcast, you know, in a time where, uh, you know, I'm sure that your news organization was doing well. You know, people were watching news more than ever. People were not watching news more than ever, but uh, they were definitely doing well. Well, And there were still millions of people, you know, I, I do think TV news uh, watching is going down, but, and which is part of my decision because I was like, I want to be on the forefront of journalism instead of that makes sense. on the thing that's declining. However, it was still doing way better than, you know, any one podcast really to your point. And so, yeah, it was definitely risky. And people actually told me, I don't think I could do what you're doing. I had somebody tell me, to be honest, I'm surprised that people actually, like you hear that people say, oh, everyone told me I was crazy. And I was like, no one actually told you that. Well, actually they do. (laughs) (laughs) 
And um, someone told me, do you know how many people would kill to have the job that you have? It's the dream job. And you're you're giving that up. Dang. How did that make <laughs> you I'm feel? Like, at that point, I had gone through enough of the, the struggle internally that I had made up my mind. Good. And so I was like, yeah, I mean... It, it didn't feel great. It probably made me have a little bit of like, oh, this is scary. But I was enough in a place that I had made up my mind that I was like, yep, well, I'm going to do it and do it anyway, you know? And, but I do, I was very nervous to go tell my boss. And while I like him in general as a person and as a boss, I didn't love what he said to me, which was, really? My 19-year-old son wants to start a podcast. That's what you want to do? Ugh. And I think it was genuine surprise yeah. for him because I was doing well there and I was making money and all those kinds of things. And probably disappointment because he didn't didn't want me to leave. You know, any employee, you have to kind of start over again. And so, but I, I was clear that I, that I had made up my mind and and I think it ultimately came back. What I ultimately came back to all the time whenever I got nervous or freaked out about this was if I don't try, I know I will regret it and I will always wonder. And while it's easier to say back then that I was willing to fail, I did have that feeling of like, let me give this a year. If it doesn't work, I trust myself to be able to get another job. I have enough experience yeah. that I probably could either get back into TV news or find something else because I could feel that if it wasn't this, I would ultimately leave TV for something else that probably wouldn't fulfill me as much. And so I just felt like I had to try or I would always wonder. Yeah. I guess that is the nice thing to think about where there isn't a huge worst case scenario. Like, yes, you did leave an opportunity and you might not get that exact same opportunity back, but you still have all of your experience that you get to bring to the table somewhere else. You know, it's it's not a huge, I mean, it is a huge risk and a huge yeah. jump, but it's, uh, the worst case scenario isn't death. Like it's not, exactly. it's not poverty, it's a change. And I knew I, you know, I had made enough money to that point that I was setting some aside and that with dual income from with my husband that I was set up to basically give myself a year to right. knowing, knowing that I might not make money for a year and, and being okay with that going into it and recognizing that that was that I'm very fortunate to be able to do that um, from the years I had I had put in and the money I'd saved and and the dual income that I have. So I I was willing, I gave myself that timeline, which also made it feel like this wasn't a permanent change. If it doesn't work out in a year, I can pivot again. And I think moving cities so many times for my career in TV helped with that because I was used to changing and kind of starting all over oh, that's again. Cool. Yeah. I had, you know, from college, then I went to Columbia, Missouri for my first job. Then I went to Portland, Oregon for my second job. Then I went to LA for my third job. And each time I kind of had to be the new reporter and work weekends again and do that whole thing and prove myself all over again. And, and so it just felt like this was another one of those moments when I had to kind of start over. But this time it was for me and there felt like there was unlimited potential instead of just, okay, I want to get off weekends <laughs> or I want to tell a really good story today. It was, this could really be something if I allow it to be. And there's kind of unlimited potential with it. And what happens is completely up to me. And so, and it gives me, you know, more say over how I'm sharing what's happening in the world. And so that just got me so excited that it was worth the risk. Now, I will say, there was a lot more emotional roller coasters ahead <laughs> that I could not have imagined, but I'm so grateful for it because I've had so much personal growth over the last year. 
your podcast is called The Newsworthy, and your tagline underneath it is fast, fair, fun. And I know that those were basically all pushing back on people's problems with the news. You know, people, I guess, are the antithesis to what a lot of people experience the news to be. Can you kind of break down what you are seeing as like problems in the news industry and then how you have swooped in to try to solve those problems? Yes. So one of the biggest things and the reason I started it in the first place was because of what we've somewhat already talked about is I not only was feeling like, oh my gosh, every story is sad, but I was hearing from other people that they're not just, they're not listening to the news or doing anything with the news anymore because either it was too overwhelming or too depressing, right? And th- we have so much going on in our lives that it's it's tough to make room for news. But then we also hate that feeling of walking up to a conversation and kind of being a deer in the head, in headlights, like we don't know what's going on in the world or we don't know enough of the issues so that we can make an impact or do something about it, right? And so the reason I chose Fast, Fair, Fun, Fast was that, okay, you're getting the latest happenings in less than 10 minutes. So you can turn off your phone notifications and just get take this 10 minutes to be up to date and not have to have the 24-hour news cycle if you don't want yes. and not sit in not sit in the negativity. You just can hear it and move on with your life or go take action or whatever it is that you want to do. And because we're just so busy that I try to make it convenient. So it's kind of those two things of why I chose less than 10 minutes. It feels doable. Totally. I mean, I listened this morning on my uh, commute and I've got a short commute. Like I don't have like one of those hour and a half commutes that some people or, you know, some listeners of this podcast have. Uh, I have like a 10 minute commute and it was so nice to like get an update on everything happening. And then when I got to the office, I didn't have to like go on the New York Times and have to scroll through Twitter. Like I got straight into my work for the day and I didn't have to like get sucked into uh, so much of what's happening. I was just like, oh, I know everything I need to know at least for most of the day. And I, I really chose a podcast because we do have so many screens in our lives already that I didn't want people to have to sit down and read something or stare at another screen. So I I love the fact that you can listen, like you said, on the commute or while you're getting ready in the morning, which I knew that I wanted. I wanted my product, you know, before, and I realized it didn't exist, which was also why I started it because I felt like it was something I could use in my life. Um, the other thing that I did was was fair. And what I mean by that is unbiased. I'm, I'm not going to tell you my opinion during this. And I think the same thing, like we hear so many extremes, right? The I think the extreme opinions are the loudest, but most people don't have those really, really extreme opinions. Most people do want to have cordial conversations. And I think sometimes we don't get that in today's world as much. And again, we talked about what's extraordinary. Sometimes these outlandish opinions get people to click because it seems extraordinary. So I wanted to make sure that I was looking at CNN and Fox News and Wall Street Journal and New York Times and all of the different perspectives and news sources and bringing that into one place so that you can feel like, hey, you you heard what both sides are saying and you're, you at least feel like you're listening even if you don't agree. And I think I've heard a lot of feedback that people appreciate that, especially in today's world. And then I wanted it to also be fun for the, the same reasons we've been talking about, which is, hey, I'm just your friend telling you what's going on. I'm going to bring an upbeat personality to the stories that I can. And that also means my story selection is not just doom and gloom. I don't want just politics. I don't want just tragedy. Yes, that 
sometimes is in there when necessary. And I feel like it is important enough for you to know what's going on and be part of the conversation or to be able to take action if you want. But it's also, what's the tech that's impacting our world? You know, what's the, you know, Google starting the $1 billion campus or, you know, what's Amazon doing now? Or what does that mean that Amazon is now a trillion dollar company? And so these are interesting things, not necessarily good or bad, and just things that impact our lives. And then I also wanted to bring some fun to it. So you'll also get some fun entertainment stories. Or I reached out to you because I was like, let me incorporate some of your good news. And uh, oh, it's been so fun to hear that. <laughs> yes. And I think people really appreciate it because you also want to have hope. And it, it just makes me more conscious to say, let me make sure I'm I'm putting in those good slow progression, good news stories as well as some of the things that the other traditional networks are saying. So I jam like 10 stories in less than 10 minutes. And with the knowledge that maybe there's one or two that you love that you want to look more into, and I absolutely encourage that, or maybe that's all you need for the day to feel enough knowledgeable and move on. Totally. And and honestly, I think that you've done such a remarkable job. I've been really, really impressed to a point where like, I, I subscribe and I listen and like I love the little music that plays in the background and it's kind of stuck in my head right now. Like it makes me so happy um, and it feels fresh. Like I, I think it's great. Also, by the way, when I set up, I got like a Google Home recently and when I set it up, it like popped up with the opportunity to have it just like if I say like, good morning, Google or whatever it is, it'll like turn on my lights. It'll do all this stuff and then it'll start playing your podcast. It's amazing. Oh, I love that. I'm so glad to hear that. I wonder because it's probably on your phone. So it knows it's connected and it knows. But yeah, anybody who has it can ask it to play. It's so cool. I love it. And I think it's really, really cool that you basically saw problems and you're like, hey, I'm going to solve these problems. Uh, I'm going to create a solution that hopefully moves the needle for people. And what's amazing is that this is going to create more margin in people's lives for people to actually take action. I mean, this is what we're all about. It's like, okay, how can we actually become a part of becoming good news? And I love that, you know, you're creating more margin in people's lives so that they don't feel overwhelmed and they actually have more availability uh, to become a part of them. Yeah, it's just like productivity, right? When we feel overwhelmed, we end up doing nothing. And I think the same thing goes with news. And that's when you feel too depressed or you feel too overwhelmed by it, then you just shut it out of your life. And I wanted to help people feel like there was a place in their lives for news without having to commit hours to it and commit, Mm -hmm. you know, emotional energy to it that every single day. And I think, you know, when there are stories like the California wildfires, I make a conscious effort to say, I'm putting a link in today's show notes of, you know, ideas for how you can help and making sure that I'm doing that and making it really convenient for people when there are opportunities to help or take action and, and putting that on my website so that you can just go right there and, and figure out how you want to contribute. I thought that you did such a good job on your Pete Davidson story. You know, you shared about how, you know, he left this uh, heartbreaking message on Instagram talking essentially about suicide. And inside of your story, you included the link to uh, the suicide hotline. And you said, and here's specifically how you can help people in your own life or on your social media feeds or anybody else who are struggling with thoughts of suicide. And you just made it really practical uh, because, you know, I think it's valuable for us to hear this story about the celebrity, but 
as soon as it comes close to home, you know, and we think about, okay, who are the loved ones in my life who uh, might be struggling with something similar? You essentially just use this as an opportunity to equip your listeners to help people and potentially even save lives. Like that was a beautiful choice on your part. You're giving me chills. Thank you so much because I really do. I'm very conscious, especially with stories about suicide, because as a reporter, we have a responsibility. And I even thought this when I, I would go out of my way when I was in television and, and no one would tell me to do this while I think other reporters did not do it correctly. There are certain ways that you have to word stories about suicide so that you're not sensationalizing them and making it seem like a good idea because it's not. And I will never put out a story about suicide without including the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's just so important when we are putting things out into the world that we're very conscious about how it's perceived. And I think this in 2018 with Anthony Mordain and Kate Spade, I think that it was that much more important because the celebrities that people look up to died by suicide. And I think when we're covering that, it is so important for us to think about not sensationalizing it and making that feel like, oh, a celebrity did it because you just want to be very mindful of how people are taking that in and what they perceive of it. And just making sure, you know, and, and same thing with even just other tragedies, like how can I do my best to inform people without encouraging a copycat or an, in, yeah. or highlighting the, you know, now that I have a little more control, I do my best not to highlight the gunman as much in a terrorist attack, right? Like, yes, I tell you the information you need to know, but I want to talk more about the victims and I want to talk more about what's do, what's happening to prevent it in the future more than who the shooter is. That's just my personal opinion. And so now I can make those decisions a little bit more than I could as a traditional news reporter and they wanted to know every little detail about, you know, who the person was that that was the shooter. So these are all things that I think about. And so I appreciate you recognizing. I mean, now I'm getting goosebumps because it's so cool to think about you and I'm sure countless other people who are, you know, they're bringing their heart to their work and they're being intentional about hey, how can I use my work as a journalist, as a communicator, as a thought leader to not encourage heartbreak and pain and injustice and to actively fight against that and fight for hope and uh, and peace? And it's really cool that you have this platform and that it's blown up. You know, you got featured by Apple when you launched and I have no doubt that that brought in a huge number of listeners. And so it's, I don't know, it's cool to think about how, you know, somebody in your position can have a huge ripple effect through, you know, the United States and around the world. And so I'm very inspired by the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. And I think it's so neat in today's world that anybody can put their voice out there, you know, whether it's a podcast or another form of media or however, or writing or whatever it is for you. We live in a world that anybody can put their opinions and their messaging and their positivity into the world. And you know, you you mentioned Apple Podcasts, that feature. What was so exciting about that is that Apple didn't need me to be a multi-million dollar news organization to give me that space. And I'm so grateful for that because, yes, I come with the traditional experience as a veteran journalist, but you know, I don't have that same backing. Like we talked about when I try to call someone and I can't say that I'm with CBS, but they saw enough traction in the show and they listened to the show and thought there was enough value in it that they put it up next to those big news organizations. And I think that's so cool that we live in a world where everybody can have that impact and you don't need millions and millions of dollars and, and powerful people around you. 
I'm just like so inspired by your journey and this intentional choice you've made and your pursuit of purpose. Um, and I kind of want to just wrap up with with one last question and say, you know, for people who are listening to this episode and they want to be more intentional about how they consume the news, uh, want to be more intentional about you know, learning about what's going on in the world. And yeah, of course, they're already pumped to go and subscribe to your podcast. What's kind of a tangible action step they can take this week uh, to step towards maybe a healthier relationship with current events? I always recommend for people to pick one news story they heard from the week and maybe write it down that really resonated with them or that stood out in their mind. Because I think over time, if you are maybe writing in a calendar, you know, one story a week or one story a day, that resonates with you and stands out to you, you'll notice a trend over time about what issues matter to you and maybe what issues you want to get more involved with, Um, whether that's tech or space or politics or a specific topic within politics, you know, immigration or any of those things. And just taking the step of like writing down what story stood out to you, I think can show you a trend over time and ultimately lead you to do more with that. Like I said before, I am truly a huge fan of Erica's show, and I'm so glad that we got to dive deeper into her story. You should absolutely subscribe to The Newsworthy wherever you're listening to podcasts. Uh, I mean, you're listening to a podcast right now, so whatever app you're using right now, uh, you can just search for The Newsworthy, uh, and you will find the podcast. (laughs) I don't have to explain how podcasts work. While you're at it, you can absolutely follow Erica on Instagram and Twitter. If you're new to Sounds Good, we would love for you to stick around. You'd also love my conversations with Nigel Poor and Noor Tagori, two women who are doing incredible things in the world of media, storytelling, and news. You can find both of these episodes and more than 100 other episodes by searching for Sounds Good wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you hit subscribe to keep on getting more inspiring conversations with incredible people delivered to your phone while you sleep. This podcast is created by me, Brandon Harvey, as a part of Good Good Good, a community that believes in the power of celebrating good news and becoming good news. Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio edit and mix the show. You can get lots more helpful stories on social media by following us everywhere at goodgoodgoodco. We also create a beautiful quarterly newspaper that celebrates the people, ideas, and movements that are changing the world for the better. It's a real-life newspaper. It's actually printed on newsprint. Uh, You can open it, close it, give it to somebody, and you can order it today at goodgoodgood.co. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and change the way that you consume the news, create some more margin in your life, and ultimately use that margin to make a bigger difference. And we'll be back next week with another inspiring story from an incredible person. Sound good?